Welcome to the City Church Cardiff podcast. We're an Elim Pentecostal church in the center of Cardiff dedicated to bringing hope in the name of Jesus. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you're inspired and impacted by this message. Well, good morning and welcome. Hope you've had a great week. And as Pastor Catherine said, I hope you've enjoyed the weather over this weekend. And apparently there's meant to be sunshine today. I didn't see any this morning, but let's hope so for this afternoon. Last week, we began our teaching series called Dangerous Prayers. And it's based on a book by Craig Rochelle framed around this idea of bold, adventurous, and risky prayers, full of faith, as Pastor Dominic said earlier on. And today, we're going to have a look at an example found in the scriptures, in in the Bible, that we believe is what helps us in our faith and our conduct in our life. And we're going to have a look at an example. You see, when I heard that we were going into this teaching series, I actually started asking myself a bunch of questions. And I wonder if you'd asked yourself any of these as well. There were questions like, are my prayers dangerous? Are they too safe or comfortable? Are they bold? What even is a dangerous prayer? How can a conversation with God, both sharing and listening, be bold or adventurous? And even if we were to answer all of those questions, why would I pray one anyway? My wonderful wife, Sophie, can't seem to understand um, why I couldn't think of anything worse to do in spending my day than going to a theme park, spending hours and hours going on rides. And the idea of, apart from the fact that I don't really want to pay money to be uh, chucked, spun, or flung around by large pieces of metal is one of the main reasons. But it's also because it's a bit dangerous and it takes boldness to do it. And that's just not really me. And for most of us, all of our lives, we're told to stay away from danger. Don't go too close to the edge. Don't touch the fire. And then how does that work with prayer then? If, if there's this idea of dangerous prayers, and why would we pray one? So the good news is, as I said, there is an example in the scriptures, and we're going to have a look at one of those today. So would you turn with me in your Bibles, if you have one, to Psalm 139. And if you don't have a Bible, do not fear, it will pop up on your screen. Firstly, to note the Psalms, uh, one of these pieces of literature in the Old Testament, the first half of our Bible, Psalm meaning melody, they're a collection of like five sub-collections. Imagine a series on Netflix with five seasons and they're kind of all together and they're weaved throughout and they're poetry, song-like prayers. Uh, They're part of the Old Testament, as I said, and they come under the section of the writings, literature that is similar to Proverbs or Job. And there are 150 individual psalms attributed to a number of ancient Jewish writers. And they were mostly written to be prayed or sung as a community with the people who lived around with you or individually. And they were a regular part of the prayer life, not only of ancient Jews, but also of Jesus and his disciples. And many people we read about in the New Testament because the Old Testament is the scriptures they would have had 2,000 years ago. So Psalm 139, read along with me. We're going to traverse through this entire psalm, uh, taking some breathers along the way and gleaning and taking note of what dangerous and bold prayer David prayed. Verse one, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. 
You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Now notice here that David is expounding God's all-seeing nature. God knows him, every movement, every thought, and every word. And, And David is unfolding one key truth about God and spreading it out in metaphorical phrases to poetically describe God's all seeing and knowing power. But more than that, for us, notice how David begins in prayer focusing on God. The very first words out of his mouth are a proclamation of God's power and wonder. David prayed with an awareness of who he was praying to, the all-knowing God. And I would suggest to you that this is significant for the posture in which you and I pray and how we approach prayer. How do you come to prayer? Is it a posture of requests and demands to God, perhaps with confusion and nervousness or maybe with eager expectation to hear him speak? So I believe that David's, uh, the beginning of David's prayer here presents us with a healthy posture of focusing on God. Let's continue from verse 7. He says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I was to go up to the heavens, you are there. If I was to make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I was to rise on the wings of the dawn, or if I was to settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day for darkness is as light to you. So David's prayer is now building on his first thoughts as a progression. He inquisitively and perhaps even with some nervousness presents questions to God. Questions I actually think he knows the answers to. Where can I go? Where can I flee? And whilst this doesn't suggest that David desires to hide from God or flee him, it's more of a recognition that he couldn't if he tried. And I appreciate David's questioning here. I don't know about you, but far too often I forget that I'm praying to the creator God. One who we've literally just read knows everything about us. And there are definitely moments when I make God smaller in my mind and my heart. And I think he's not going to hear me. He's not going to answer these prayers. And I, I miss out the fact that he is everywhere. How big is your view of God? Is God small enough for you that you can still hide from him? Your framework for God, our framework for God, will shape how and what you pray. So similarly to the first stanza of David's prayer, he is now illuminating the omnipresence, fancy word for God's everywhere. And the fact that he is in all places and we cannot hide from him despite our best efforts. Now, you might be thinking, well, Gareth, how is this prayer dangerous so far? Well, stick with me. We're going to keep going and move into verse 13. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me 
are your thoughts, God. How vast the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. And this prayer then takes a bit of a venture into David describing God's creative power. But not about his forming of the earth or the heavens as we read in Genesis, but about himself. Note how David unpacks the details and intricacies of God forming him and the value this all-knowing, all-present God places upon his life. And you and I, as the reader today, are invited into this loving reminder that God has value and loves you. How God knows your beginning from your end and carefully crafted you like a master craftsman with care and attentiveness. How God has a vast number of thoughts, more than all the beaches in the UK, and there's not that many. And there's so many, they outnumber that. Let's continue verse 19. If only you, God, would slay the wicked away from me, you who are... Let's hold on a second. Uh, This is really odd. This is an abrupt and a strange and a peculiar moment in the scriptures. And it is okay to acknowledge that. So, So why is it there? Why is there a shift? David has just poetically progressed and created a tapestry of who God is in adoration. And then it halts. There is a dramatic alteration in the tone and the nature of David's prayer. One scholar highlights an almost disturbing turn. It's like being on a walk and then you stub your toe and you know about it. It's that abrupt. It's like biting into a delicious pastry, thinking it's chocolate, but it's raisins. The worst thing ever. Devastating. Or a bit of a Marvel moment for me here. It's like when Doctor Strange gives away the time stone in Avengers Infinity War and you're just dumbfounded. You're like, what is going on? And this passage really does become odd and peculiar. Let's go back to verse 19. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. And we're going to pause there at the end of 22. So what is happening here? Well, If you recall, David has postured himself towards the wonder of God. He's describing the all-knowing nature of God at the beginning, the all-present nature of God, and marvels at his creative love towards him. And yet, in a moment, David becomes awakened. He wakes up to the very present reality of wickedness and evil and wrongdoing all around him. Well, why does that happen? Might I suggest to you that... It is at this moment that the result or the fruit of the first 18 verses are on display. David has poured out adoration and praise of the power and wonder of God. So the words have filled his mind, flown out of his heart and been proclaimed by his tongue. And at the precipice of that moment, all rebellion and evil toward God is illuminated. And David can't help but reject it. David's indignation is fierce towards evil. He doesn't want anything to do with it because he spent time focusing on the all-present, all-knowing, all-creative and powerful God. One scholar helpfully articulated this way. For all its intensity, the hatred in this passage is not spite, but zeal for God. David is passionate for God. Thus, 
in that moment of realization, it also leads David in humility and vulnerability to an awareness of his own frailty as a human and bias towards that which is wrong. And therefore, it leads us on to the key moment in this psalm. He utters these dangerous concluding words. Verse 23. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So David has progressed through and lands this prayer with an invitation for God to search him, to know the deepest parts of him, to put him to the test for God to know his thoughts and fears, for God to reveal if there's any selfish desires or wickedness and to lead him in a godly life forever. Eugene Peterson in the message paraphrase puts it this way, investigate my life, O God. Find out everything about me. Cross-examine and test me. Get a clear picture of what I'm about. See for yourself whether I've done anything wrong. Then guide me on the road to eternal life. You see, the purpose of David's prayer was personal change. His bold and dangerous request to God was for him to be changed on the inside For David knew as he progressed through verses 1 to 18 or the the start of this prayer that God is incredible, present, mighty, powerful. And in that moment, it also illuminates to him his need for God. This prayer is a bold and dangerous request for personal change. And therefore, it presents itself to you and me. As I said at the beginning, the Psalms are prayers available to God's people and they still are today. See, I'm convinced that prayer with God is all about personal change. Richard Foster, an excellent Christian writer, puts it this way. To pray is to change. Prayer is the central avenue God uses to transform us. Prayer is the central avenue God uses to transform us. This prayer that David offers and is available to us is dangerous because change is uncomfortable. It's confronting, it's challenging. We've all been through different changes in our lives, one season or another, at different ages and different moments. And change can be really confronting and challenging. And it's dangerous because there's moments when we don't want to change or we don't like the process of change. We don't know how it feels. But let me encourage you today, let me remind you that we read in this psalm, it is essential that you know that I know the source of the change. And it is a loving and caring God. This entire psalm and prayer from verse 1 is fundamental, non-negotiable to asking God to search you and bring change. Why is that? And that's because this request only holds true value, true weight, In light of the extravagant proclamation that God is all-knowing, he is all-present, all-creative, all-holy in nature. And therefore, it can comfort us that the source of the change is a loving God. And so what? What what, what can you do with this today, with this scripture? Well, I invite you to pray it. I invite you to use it as part of your time of prayer. Explore the Psalms, read and learn them. 
There have been prayers for followers of Jesus for centuries and for the people of God for millennia. Use them to pray. And when you pray, invite God to change you. Then sit and listen. Because that is the invitation from Jesus. It's to follow his way. We did a whole series earlier in this year of rhythms, rhythms, the habits that make you into Jesus. A transformed and ever transforming life with him is what he offers. You see, we live in a stage later to David where Jesus, the hope of the world, has lived and died, been raised to life and is seated at the right hand of the Father and has has started a new kingdom, a new way of life in the now and the not yet. So today I want to also give an invitation for those who are not followers of Jesus. Maybe you, you don't know this God that these scriptures speak about. Maybe you want to. And we don't want to miss that. That's really important. It's really important we do that. So would you join me in a moment just to pray these words? They're going to come up on the screen for you now. It says this, Jesus, thank you for loving me and wanting to be in my life. I recognize my need to live life with and for you. I turn away from my way of life. I receive your forgiveness. I receive your love and grace. Reveal yourself to me. Help me follow your way and put my trust in you alone. Amen. If you did, uh, by chance, pray that prayer for the first time, um, please do head to our website, not out of um, anything strange, but we would love to connect with you, support you, be alongside you and with you on this process and journey of following Jesus together. And you're able to find information and ways to do that on there as well. And so for everybody else watching, joining us for church, scattered but together today, this is our response. And we're going to pray together. We're going to speak together, proclaim together verses 23 and 24 but remember in light of the first 18 verses of the awesomeness and creative power and love of God so we say together search me God and know my heart test me and know my anxious thoughts see if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting amen We hope you are encouraged by today's message. To find out more, visit our website at citychurchcardiff.com or find us on social media.